This is Leadership is Changing Podcast, Episode 1. Hey everyone, this is Christopher Luxon, the former CEO of Air New Zealand. If you're wanting to learn how to embrace change and to navigate through disruption as a leader, then I really want to encourage you to listen to the Leadership is Changing Podcast with my very good friend, Dennis Giannoutsos. Welcome to Leadership is Changing. Each week, we and our guests provide information and insights through exploring leading change. This is taking your leadership to another level by finding the balance between executive excellence and personal well-being through stories that inspire real change. It's time to adapt in our fast-moving world when leadership is changing with your host, Dennis Giannoutsos. Hey, welcome to the show. Leadership is changing. My name is Dennis Giannoutsos. I have a guest with me today. Uh, his name is Christopher Luxon, and I'll introduce him to you very soon. What we as leaders know to be true is that change is constant. Leaders everywhere confront similar obstacles because people are people, but everywhere you go, leaders are overwhelmed, disrupted, and under pressure. They run from email to email, meeting to meeting. Many leaders are not changing quick enough, which means they run the risk of becoming irrelevant and being left behind. The purpose of the show is taking our listeners' leadership to another level by finding their balance between executive excellence and personal well-being through stories that inspire real change. I believe that we don't have enough effective leaders in the world today. If we can get the leaders to step up and lead the change, they can inspire real change. It's now time to adapt in our fast-moving world. Team, today our guest is Christopher Luxon. Christopher was the Chief Executive Officer of Air New Zealand from 2013 to 2019. And under his leadership, the airline delivered record profits, all-time high customer satisfaction scores, and achieved its highest levels of staff engagement. Along this, along this Air New Zealand won numerous accolades throughout the years as well, including the best airline several times, and they've won that award across the world. And, and recognising its commitment to area, key areas such as sustainability, innovation, corporate reputation, employee engagement, and customer experience. I know because I've flown with them several times and well, actually a lot over the years, and uh, I've got to experience that uh, and what was being shared. The other thing too is that Christopher's been, prior to joining in New Zealand, he was the President and the Chief Executive Officer at Unilever in Canada and was one of several senior leadership roles where he held during a highly successful 18-year career at the fast-moving consumer goods multinational that saw him work in in roles in Europe, North America, Asia-Pacific. He's got a Master of Commerce and Business Administration from the University of Canterbury here in New Zealand. He's also served as the chair of the Prime Minister Jacinda Ardern's Business Advisory Council and has been widely recognised for his leadership, including the Blake Leader Award, Deloitte CEO of the Year, and Orient Aviation Person of the Year and Deloitte Company of the Year. Christopher, welcome to today's show. Hey, Dennis. It's great to be with you. and What a great topic to be talking about. Yeah, awesome. So a uh, lot's happening for us in the world today and have been of late. And so tell us a little bit more. I mean, I've shared with our listeners a little bit about your background. Tell us a little bit more about your background, what you've been up to and, 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 and you know, sort of the roles that you've done in the past. 
Yeah, well, I was born in a place called Christchurch in the South Island of New Zealand. Uh, for those of you who are listening haven't been to New Zealand, it's certainly the best country on earth. And we feel very strongly about that, being Kiwis, as we call ourselves. And I was very fortunate. I grew up with a father who worked for a big company, Johnson & Johnson. And I grew up with a mother who actually was a psychotherapist. And so around my table, I was raised with sort of good understanding of economics and people, really. And after completing university, I joined Unilever, which was a fantastic global multinational, one of the truly great companies in the world. And it was a real privilege to work there for 18 years, and 16 of those years were overseas. And in a company like that, you learn a lot about uh, working with people from all sorts of situations. Uh, You work a lot with people from all over the world, and how you lead them is really important. But you also learn about leadership in the context of different business situations. So, you know, and whether you're in developed markets, developing markets, different businesses. And so it was a very good place to get grounded, I thought, in, in global business. And then you go from selling a lot of Ben and Jerry's ice cream and dump soap to all of a sudden running an airline for a country like New Zealand, which is, you know, an awesome place, but obviously a very isolated place. And so for Air New Zealand to be successful, it needs the country to be successful. And it's, it's a very important connection to the rest of the world for, for our country. And so, yeah, it was a real privilege to be able to do that job as well. Yeah, and I, I always found that as I was traveling the world, it was always a pleasure and always felt like I was home before I even got home. In other words, I got to the airport, saw that staff, you know, the New Zealand staff walking along, but also hearing the voices, the accents. And then when I was getting onto the flight and the way I was looked after and, and, and the customer service, I felt like I was home and I was safe. And it was really cool and a real pleasure to be traveling with them. Yeah, well, there's a million Kiwis overseas on any given day of the week, typically. And of course, you know, that's a bit more challenged in these days and times. But certainly for Kiwis, you know, it just it is that it is home. Yeah. Yeah. So, Christopher, if I was to ask you, who is your favorite leader? Now, that person could be alive or it could be a person from history. Who Who is your favorite leader and why? Well, there's been a lot of leaders that I've admired over the years, and I've taken pieces from them, really. There's no singular leader. But, you know, people like Winston Churchill, I was always uber impressed with. You know, as a, as a young boy, I read all of the biographies of Churchill. Just the vision to be able to stand on his principles, often in the face, if you think about before World War II, before people had actually had, had sort of acknowledged the threat of Nazi Germany, and he saw it early, and he actually was in, you know, talking about it very, very early. And in the way he inspired people towards that vision was, was really impressive. Certainly, you know, people like Madeleine Albright, you know, Secretary of State uh, for the US, you know, just the intelligence, the keenness, the energy, the enthusiasm for, for her to keep doing what she's been doing and the, and the wisdom that she now brings to a lot of conversations around the world is really impressive. Uh, and I was always impressed by President Obama because I thought, irrespective of whether you like his politics or not, the way that he carried himself with good grace and good dignity and the way that his administration had no major, major scandal and, you know, was, was admirable. You know, it was really impressive for, for those of us watching that. Yeah, and I and I know that the likes of the John Maxwells and that they talk about everyone can communicate, few can connect, and I think yeah. the Obamas of the world is where they could connect with with their audience. Yeah, I think that's one of the big tasks of a leader is that communicator connector role, and that's the difference between a manager who can activate and often run strategy, but actually to do the communication connection thing is really very a very special gift and something that can be built and developed, I think, over time too. And so leadership is changing, and so so what is when I say that term, what does that mean for you? Yeah, well, I think in a traditional business sense, you know, leadership's been about you know setting a direction, getting people to come on board and follow you, and and delivering commercial success, customer success, cultural success. 
But I think the bit that's changed, certainly in the business world, and I think we've got a lot to learn from the non-profit world, is this connection to mission and purpose. You know, as a leader, why am I doing this job? What am I here for? What is bigger than myself? And I think that ability to sort of look at the skills, abilities, and experiences you've had to this point in your life, hook it up to something a bit bigger in terms of a purpose bigger than yourself, uh, and actually connect yourself to that as the leader of the organization, but importantly, take your people on that same journey and get them connected to that mission. And so for us at Air New Zealand, we tried to make it a more mission purpose organization over my time as CEO, because we realized actually, yes, we are flying people from A to B. We're defying gravity. We hopefully get you there on time, preferably with your bags. But the reality was that actually our people were ambassadors for our country was really the purpose. And so our mission and purpose was our role was to supercharge New Zealand's success economically, socially, and environmentally. And that's that's something that you know people got connected to that as the big thought in our organization. And it meant that they then gave us differential effort, went above and beyond what our competitors would do, and it led to better customer service and, I believe, fundamentally better commercial results as well. So, yeah, so I think that's the big challenge where it's changing is how will you – uh, communicate and connect with people and actually do that around mission and purpose. And as I said, nonprofit organizations do it well because they don't have pay to, to, to motivate people with. And it never it turned out that was never that important anyway, if people want to buy into something much bigger. Yeah. And I and I, I know what you're talking about there with the purpose side of things, because I the amount of people that I work with, leaders in that and senior roles, and when they come out of that organization, they are lost in the sense that their whole identity has been around that role or that organization. And I'm not, I'm not sure whether you've seen that as well. Yeah, I think that's the biggest mistake a lot of business people make is they put all of their identity in what they do rather than who they are becoming as people. And so their identity is shaped up by what's on their business card and their job title. And all of a sudden you have an industry restructure, a situation where they don't quite get the job that they thought they were going to get. And all of a sudden they shatter as people because all of their identity has been put into the job title and, and they haven't actually been connected to a bigger mission or purpose about what's their life actually going to be about. And I've seen that all over the world. You know, you see people who have you know, worked really hard, done everything a company's asked for them, thought they'd be the next CEO, miss out on that job, end up going back home. Their relationships on the home front aren't that flash with their kids or with their partner. And as a consequence, you know, everything unravels a bit and they, they get shattered because they've just put too much in one one thing. Okay. What I'd like to do is do a little bit more of a deep dive on what you were saying when you, you sort of took over in New Zealand, the way you looked at things. And, and this next question, which is, how has your business or industry changed and what demands has that put on you and your leadership team? So I'm not sure that's something you want to share around the New Zealand space. Yeah, I mean, aviation is an incredibly tough industry. I mean, if you think about it, airfares 30 years ago versus where they are today, you know, often cheaper in real terms and in, and in nominal terms. And so, you know, you've got declining unit revenues. At the same time, you've got massive slugs of costs, whether it's fuel or labor. And, you know, they're ra- rather sort of big components of your cost base. And then you've got to go off and invest millions, hundreds of millions of dollars in new aircraft to get the fuel efficiencies and to also improve the customer experience. And so it's a really difficult, it's a very capital intensive industry. And so it's a, a very challenging business to run. And that's why you see a lot of airlines go through successive bankruptcies over time because it is just really hard. So in that context, you know, what we learned was to stop thinking in the silo of an aviation company or an airline and the aviation industry per se and look at broader business and look at other models that we could steal with pride and apply into our context as being an airline. So a small point would be typically people often launch a new route to a new destination as an airline 
but you will happily take losses for a period of time before that becomes profitable. Whereas we in fast-moving consumer goods, when I was at Unilever, if we were opening up a new country, we had a market development model that we would roll into that country, make it local, um, apply our global good practice. And so we learned to take new market entries out of fast-moving consumer goods. We learned to take a lot about continuous improvement and Lean Six Sigma out of a manufacturing environment or a distribution centre environment because actually an airport and moving people and packages is not that dissimilar from a distribution centre. So I think for a lot for us at Air New Zealand, because we were a small airline um, and there's about 180 you know commercial airlines in the world and we needed to actually think quite differently and if we just stuck in the paradigm of a bog standard airline we just keep doing everything the same and we learned that we could actually experiment and innovate and take things from other sectors and apply them into the aviation context uh, really well. Yeah, good. Very good. And I got to see some of that actually unfold in front of me, which was really great. I think one of the things would have, could have been around the, the sky couch, I think, is that? Yeah, so sky couch was a lie flat economy class product, for example, that came out of an insight that we had about people traveling between New Zealand and England, which is typically 24 hours. And of course, Kiwis love to travel. So how can you help a, a young mum or a young dad with you know kids get a good night's sleep on their way home while traveling in, a, in the economy class? And that's where we sort of you know, learnt things from other 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 sectors. You know, hospitality was a great thing. We put all of our teams in to go meet with Zappos or Celebrity Cruises or Disney or Four Seasons and Ritz Carlton because actually in hospitality there was a lot for us to steal from that sector to put into aviation. And rather than yeah, we had 90% customer satisfaction. We had seven times the industry average of net promoter score. So we had a high level of, we probably had the highest level of that in any airline in the world. So, but but we kept reframing our standards against hospitality, not against airlines. Oh, that's great. And I could see that, you know, for, for the airlines here, the accolades that came through was great. And also just to see the staff and the way that they were and the way that they, they carried themselves with the pride as they went through things to to help the airline, but also greet people in a way. So it just showed that right through from the leadership, right through to the people who are greeting you on the plane, it was everywhere that that was the mindset. And so speaking of mindset, how important is the mindset of uh, of a leader within the organization and also the mindset of those employees? Oh, it's absolutely critical because, you know, you can inherit a business and I've done a lot of turnaround jobs and there's a lot of self-fulfilling prophecies or belief systems that sort of exist amongst an existing team. Where I remember when I went to America, you know, people believed that we'd only been growing one tenth of a share point each year for the last four or five years. And they thought that was as good as it could be. But this was a very status quo, incremental, stable business. Well, we ended up more than doubling the size of that company over that period of time by putting some more ambition to it. So I think the mindset of a leader to say, you know, look, these may be a set of circumstances I'm dealing with. There is a moment between, you know, circumstance and response or stimulus and response and that mindset to determine to happen to the future and have the organisation happen to its future rather than have the future happen to it is actually really, really important. So, yeah, I think, you know, good, as a, as a leader, the mindset you really kind of have to have is how do you preserve and enhance the good things that have been going on in that company over many, many years? And do you really understand them at a principal level? And equally, how do you stimulate and provoke change and how you bring those two bits together? Often you'll see a CEO get appointed to a new job who's an increment, who's a, who's an internal appointment and that can work very, very well. But often they'll just think too incrementally. They'll just keep re-envisioning the past rather than sort of inventing a future. Likewise, you can do a big messiah complex external hire of a CEO to rescue a company or to reshape it. And they're all action Jackson and it's all stimulation and provocation and change, but they actually lose the thread of what was actually in the DNA. And so mindset's really important. It's about 
you know, how do you face up to the reality, the brutal facts of your reality, as uh, Jim Collins would say, and actually also have hope that you can actually get the organization to a different place. And it's so important to do both those bits, face, face reality and provide hope. And I think for a lot of, you've got to realize people get burnt out, you know, after 12 or 18 months, if you haven't got the company turned around, sorted and moving in a different direction, uh, you're going to be burning a lot of energy and burning a lot of people. And so, you know, that sort of mindset mentality amongst the people and amongst yourself as a leader is really important. Yeah, it's great. And I know of a CEO that I used to work with who turned around and said that very important that we run to the fire and run at the problem and handle it rather than run away from it or shelter too much. Because if we go and take it on head on, then we can we can deal with it. We know what it is and we can think about and plan and put things in action uh, and execute to get that result. That's a really great point, Dennis, because that is exactly what I've learned as well. Whenever there's a conflict or a tension uh, or a problem, uh, the tendency is sometimes it's just too hard to sort of walk. You've you got to actually just walk towards that pressure and embrace mm-hmm. that pressure. And I've studied a lot of good sports teams, and I think one of the best teams in the world is certainly the New Zealand All Blacks. We play a game down here called rugby. For the American listeners, it doesn't involve any headgear or any shoulder pads. It's um, just uh, pure, brutal uh, tackle and, and kick and chase uh, a rugby ball. But it's really interesting, you know, teams that choke, you know, over pressure moments, uh, you know, actually that that's what you've got to need. You've got to actually embrace that pressure, walk towards that tension. And whether that's a personal relationship or a work relationship or whether it's a business situation or, a, or an issue with your business or your strategy that you're not, you're not confronting, it's often easy for us just to sort of keep it as a B issue and not pay attention to it as an A issue. And so how do we just keep, you know, looking for those opportunities to to walk towards those moments that are, often can be uncomfortable? Yeah, and um, I've been working with a group of leaders recently and I was talking about what happens when uh, another team scores against the All Blacks a try and they go, well, what? And I go, well, the, ten, the All Blacks go into a huddle behind the goalposts. But what they're actually doing is of late is they're taking two big deep breaths, belly breaths as I call them, and that's causing them to slow time down, calm down. And if they're if they calm, if they are calm, then that means they're in more control and then they can make better decisions as they go forward. We've seen time and time again where another team will score again and a score again, you go, within five minutes, how come they scored three times? What what was going on? And that's because people panic. And they shy away from it, as you're saying, and they don't sort of hit, take it head on or think about what's going on to help put things in place to enable them to get the right solutions going forward, which is really, really quite key. There's a great book I read once called The Power of Full Engagement. And it was really this notion of you know professional tennis players. You, know, you actually will see them do those routines in their head as they take a moment to clear their head, get centred, and then they come back and do the ace and the serve that they need to do. But actually being able to flush that point that you may have lost or won and then actually reset and then set up again is really important. And I do think as a leader, you know, managing energy in that way uh, and be able to pulse on and pulse off to a series of sprints is actually really important. Let, let the bad stuff go behind you that you may have mucked up something and focus on the next bit and, and set up for it is really important. Yeah, that's a great book that, and I, as you said, the energy side of things too, right? Our tanks, energy tanks. That's why people reach for that chocolate or carbs and things like that at three o'clock in the afternoon because their energy tanks are, are coming down. And you're so right. It's it's really, really important that. So listeners, we've just got here, we've got Christopher Luxon on the, on the show with me today, and it's a real privilege to have him here with me. Christopher, here's another question for you. If there was one thing you could change in business as a leader today, what would it be? 
Oh, I think it would be that notion of actually business as part of the society and, and society needs a strong business and business needs a strong society. And so this notion that, you know, alongside government, business and community leaders as the three big actors in civil society, it is understanding that we're in a stakeholder world, not a shareholder world. And that's not an excuse for us not to have superior commercial results because that was one of our mantras at Air New Zealand. We want superior commercial results, outstanding customer service, and we want really a top top 10, top decile cultural engagement scores. So, but, but it is actually realizing that we're just not there to maximize the profit and loss. You know, if it's really just about crank up your revenues and get your mix right, lower your costs or control your costs and then manage investment, that in itself isn't that complex intellectually. It, yeah, it's difficult to work through in a business and you've got to do that, but we know what, what our, that, that core job is actually about. The bigger thought is, well, what is your organization actually here for? What does it actually stand for? What is it? What do people tell you it stands for versus what you actually think it's you'd like it to stand for? And what's the gap between those two things? And I think that's the thing that the best business leaders I've started to spend time with and see, you know, when you think of a Satya Nadella or, you know, those kind of guys, they really are thinking very intentionally, very purposefully about the role of their organization in a broader uh, world that we're living in, a broader society that we're part of. And I think, you know, that's why business leaders do need to embrace some of these these different issues that sit out there. I know it in New Zealand, you know, I had put in place family violence leave, you know, I put in place, you know, paid parental leave. That's because these were important things. They not only built culture, they obviously engaged our people. They obviously, I felt, led to better customer support and ultimately also better commercial results. But they were just the right things to be doing. And I think as leaders, we've got to, you, job one, make sure you're running a really good business and you've earned the right to to make a contribution bigger and uh, but look to make that contribution to other stakeholders. Yeah, yeah, great points. Because I think it's going to have a great segue into my next question here, which is, how has employee expectations of leaders changed? Yeah, well, it's very interesting. I think if you look at the US, you'll see the average politician has a trust rating of about 30%, you know, which is pretty dysfunctional and pretty poor. But the CEOs across the country really have a trust rating closer to, you know, 60 to 70%. And so employees are looking to their CEOs and their leaders to make comments or to have a point of view or to have a set of values around issues that are happening in broader society. And I think, you know, that's the that's one of the big things that is, you know, is changing quite a bit. And so people do look to the voice of a leader. And there are things that you do as a leader to build that empathy. I, I was always out and about with my people. Typically once a day I was with a different group of, you know, I had 13,000 employees and I'd be out with them seeing what they're doing, you know, on their job. There's great communication vehicles. I was constantly communicating every week through video, through a CEO message where you could just actually align, educate and and celebrate great stories and um, great culture that you want to see, you know, even more of it going forward. And so I think, you know, that's the sort of things that people have got to start to think about a bit because it is people aren't just showing up to do a job. They don't stay in a job because they're well paid. They, they stay because they're connected to the leader emotionally, connected to the organization, what it's trying to do. And they want to get connected, as I said earlier, to mission and purpose, you know. Yeah, so so as a leader, by the sounds of it, it's not just about a job. It's about a being. It's about the community and actually growing a community and and, and working with that community of, of employees. And I think when you're in a big public, you know, sort of business leadership role or any leadership role, it's how do you maintain the role 24-7? You know, we used to have a mm-hmm. saying in New Zealand, you know, you hold the role at all times because you can't just be one guy at work and a different person at the supermarket or at home with your kids and, and your partner. So, you know, getting that authenticity together as a leader, knowing who you are, um, knowing 
what your strengths are, what your development areas or weaknesses are, how you build complementary casting and teams around you to help you through that, how you have accountability on yourself uh, so that you can, you know, you don't actually believe what people tell you. You know, you really want to have a really dispassionate sort of accountability uh, session with yourself and have people that can help you do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think that you know, for for a lot of people as leaders, we we're being judged all the time. People are watching us, not just what we do, but what we say, how we say it, the tone we use. I, I remember Christopher that uh, about thirty years ago, I had a leader come out of his office, and there was about seventy of us on the floor, and he shouts out across the other side of the floor, "Dennis, get in my office right now!" I was like, "Whoa, what's happened here?" So I'm walking through my peers, and as I'm walking through my peers, they're all going, oh, you're in trouble. Oh, what's going to happen? And so they didn't really help me with my confidence. But as I went into his office and he shut the door, he says to me, I love your attitude. You're going to go a long way. Keep it up. Now get back out there and do some work. And I was like, <laughs> what? But just the way he did it, but 30 years later, I'm still talking about that conversation or the way that he spoke to me and what he said to me. And that's actually has helped set me up for a lot of things I've done in my life and my attitude and things like that because it came down to that one leader and what he said. Yeah. I think that's right, isn't it? I mean, you just, you just leadership's not just kumbaya and something we think about every you know third third Friday afternoon, you know, and, and, and culture and leadership and those two bits coming together because you realise that actually it is mission critical to everything that we're doing, you know, and we've all worked for really outstanding leaders, average leaders and some pretty poor leaders as well. And you know the difference a singularly well-developed and and drilled leader can make, uh, which is fantastic. And I think the other thing on leadership is that that I learned was just – Sometimes you think you're just whispering, but actually you end up shouting to the organization a bit like your manager then, you know, um, who actually, as a result, actually, you know, it was a little thing for him, but it was a big thing for you. And it really changed a lot of things for you as a result. And I think, you know, that's really important. I learned that at Air New Zealand when I came back from um, overseas and to, to run the company. And I decided I would start wearing a suit because I wanted a lot more professionalism with our salespeople. But rather than just issuing a, a dress code, I just started wearing a suit and tie, which I hadn't done for the previous three or four years. And lo and behold, within three weeks, people started wearing a suit and tie across the organization without me even raising a dress code. And I just thought it's really interesting how quickly people orientate around the expectations of a new leader. And with that comes a great responsibility to do that right uh, and to set that up right from the beginning. Yeah, and I think that's because you have shown a way without, as you said, without having to say anything and people thinking, well, okay, that's the way it needs to be now going forward and they've, they've moved with it, which is, which is great. I mean, I think that's also comes down to that word of influence. So being a leader and influencing is really important. And so if you can, there's a prime example of what you just shared about, you know, you didn't go out and say anything, you just did, and then they started to follow. They didn't have to. But then, you know, with, with the leader that they've got, that that respect, that person that they've bought into, yeah, interesting how it all works, isn't it? Yeah, no, absolutely. Absolutely. Okay, so what makes a leader successful today in this fast-paced, ever-changing world? Oh, it's a big question. I personally think it comes back to them and their degree of, you know, actualization for one of a, you know, psychobabble kind of word, you know, in terms of how well they know themselves, how comfortable they are with themselves. I still see a lot of leaders who are being, 
being told in a political sense. You see a lot of political leaders who are saying, you know, grow the beard, take the beard off. No, no, put the glasses on, take the glasses off, talk in this way, don't talk in that way. And actually you see leaders just get so confused because they actually have lost a sense of who they are as in themselves as their identity. So I think knowing yourself uh, and all the good and the ugly, you're never as good as they say you are. You're never as bad as they say you are. But actually that self-awareness to know when you are at your best and when you're at your worst and, and the kind of conditions you need around you to be able to do that is is really very important. Yeah, yeah, I, that's great. I think there is that perception and reality. There's two different things and there is a gap. But yeah, you're right. I mean, I think we are confusing a lot of people and, and so they try to be something that they're not. And if they're trying to be something they're not, then they're not being authentic. But people aren't dumb. They can see through somebody who's not being who they should be and and it, it gets picked up a lot for sure yeah, yeah and- I think that's right people people see right through it don't they really laser you know really fairly fast they know if they're being played they know if it's a pretense they know if it's not real and i think people they see that in brands they see it in leaders they see it uh, all across you know all aspects of their life and so you know, if, if you got to get people out of a job mentality, you know, I'm the leader just doing the job. I'm the boss because I've got the hierarchy. And, and I think that's breaking down around the world. The best organizations get that, right? But the number of leaders that you still run into from time to time, you talk to their people, whether it's the janitor in the lift going up to visit them, I say, what's this place really like? And you'll hear stories of leaders screaming and shouting and ranting and raving. And you just go, man, that's just you know so sad that those people are, are making it so bad for a whole bunch of other people to be at. There's a point to be really clear about outcomes and expectations and delivery. But it's a real shame when you see people who, when they're at their worst, you know, they have a massive impact on people. And that can be such a negative thing versus when you're at your best. Yeah, and then a lot of them go off then to their other roles and they leave the the mess behind, if I can put it that way, or the people behind that they've sort of treated like that. And it's just really hard and not not always a good thing to see. And then then you'll have another leader who will treat them in a way that's like humans and, and, and sort of is what I call that multiplier rather than diminisher kind of person and really does help them. And so then you see that organization and those people are happy to be there and also off to go and do what they want to do. And I remember in the days of Hewlett-Packard and people used to say, oh, this is what it used to be like with Bill and Dave when they were around and things like that. And Bill and Dave isn't around anymore, but a lot of the values still get carried through from people from generation to generation. And I think that's really quite important. Absolutely. So here's another, probably a big question. If I was to get you out with your crystal ball and have a look and said, okay, where do you see leadership being in five years' time? Oh, it's a really good question. I think it just continues on the path that it sort of is, which is that, you know, you have to earn the right to be a leader. You know, you almost want, if, if it's almost often used to think of this as when I was very young, was you kind of want the whole company to be able to vote for who they would have as its CEO, you know, because actually people will make a good call. They'll they'll think that through really deeply. And just because you've arrived in the job title or you've got a, got some hierarchy in the organization, don't put your store in that stuff. You know, you actually have to deliver for, as I said, stakeholders. And one of those big stakeholder groups is your people, as well as obviously your customers and, and others that, that exist out there. So I think for me, it is going to be, you know, your people leadership stuff makes all the difference. I always found it interesting. Eh? I mean, I remember sitting down with a bunch of CEOs and we sort of worked out we probably were smart enough at university, but we weren't Rhodes Scholars or Churchill Scholars like some of our friends. But actually, the thing that has made people get to where they've got to has been, you know, can they communicate with people? Can they resolve conflict? 
are they curious to learn new things? Uh, and fundamentally, do they have good character? And it turns out as you get more and more senior, you can be as book smart as you like. You can be the best subject matter expert on earth on a certain topic. But if you can't lead people, that's the that's the derailer for you as you move your career forward, you know, from that point on. And I see that a lot in law firms, right? Law firms are historically incredibly hierarchical. And you can be a great subject matter expert in an aspect of corporate law, all of a sudden arrive as a senior partner uh, at the firm, you know, right, essentially on the executive team, and you've got atrocious people skills, you know, and so it doesn't work, right? It doesn't work. And so I think, yeah, that, that's really the focus, I think, going forward. Yeah, yeah. So that, yeah, good points there. So yeah, you as a leader need to equip yourself, uh, make sure you're right with yourself. And I think, you know, come back to airlines, when the mask drops down in front of you, put your mask on first before you help anyone else. And it's about you as a leader getting to the space whereby for you to take that role, whatever that role is, there will be a gap from where you are now to the role that you want to take over. What are those gaps? What can you do to close those gaps and put an action plan in place? Because you need to prepare yourself for that role to be the leader that you need to be. Because that organization and those employees deserve a leader that is going to take them to another level and is actually going to be there. And and as we go through a lot of change as well, a lot of people look to that leader as a rock, as their support, as their person they need for guidance and things like that. And if that leader hasn't got the clarity, the confidence, then that organization, those employees, those stakeholders, the customers are going to start thinking, what's going on here? I'm not too sure. And it's really important for that leader to be very strong. Absolutely. And you see that, right? When organizations change leaders, you'll see someone come in that may not uh, be as strong a clarity crusader or, or a confidence projector, you know, and you see the organizations lose their way very, very quickly, you know. Yeah, very much so. Well, thank you, Christopher, for joining us today uh, on the show. If our listeners are wanting to get hold of you, can they get hold of you at all or just come through? What's the best way to do it? Oh, just I've got a website up and running, ChristopherLuxon.co.nz. Feel free to free to go through there. Awesome. So what we uh, as leaders know to be true is that change is constant. Change is incredibly scary, especially with the unknown, the unfamiliar territory. It's time to adapt in our fast-moving world when leadership is changing. Look out for the episodes as they are published. Please listen and put a review and rating. If there is some feedback that you'd like to give me based on the show, and then what you think you might, uh, or any other questions you might like to have asked, feel free to send me an email on dennis at leadingchangepartners.com, and we can set up a 15-minute call to have a little bit of chat. Thanks for tuning in today. Thank you for listening to this episode of Leadership is Changing with your host, Dennis Giannoutsas. Each week, we and our guests provide information and insights through exploring leading change, inspiring executives and leaders to adapt and lead a bigger game in a fast-moving world.